much. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, singing, reading, playing instruments, working. Sometimes we, we think it's in us, innately in us, that we created it and we formed it and we made it possible. But we confess to you that you're a generous God who gives us all these things, that we could be who we are. And Lord, we ask that as we look into your word today, as we see what Nebuchadnezzar saw at the end of chapter 4, that you are indeed always right and you are indeed just, and you are able to humble those who have become proud. We ask, God, that you would open our eyes to our own sin of pride as a people, as a nation, as a church, that we would ever be humble before you and to be used by you and that we would always point all glory, honor, and fame to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come upon us as you came on the day of Pentecost, filling us with understanding, with conviction, and with the courage and the bonus to be equipped so that we may be sent out to declare your truth. And it takes humble people who seek a humble king to transform this world. So, Jesus, that's our prayer. So guide us through your word. May it be your words, Lord, this morning. And we pray these things in your most holy name. Amen. Uh, it's not a riddle, but kind of touch upon it. But what's the one thing that we easily see in others that is so hard to see in us? And the word is, It's that same thing that keeps you from saying, ah, ah, I'm sorry. It's that same thing that's in you that keeps you from saying, it was my fault. It's that thing in you when at Starbucks just two days ago, I opened the door, I see two ladies coming, so I opened the door and I said, I went like this because they were blocking, and then they looked at me and they went, and then inside my heart is going, you're welcome. And then I realized that's my pride. You know, I mean, technically, right? They should say thank you. But the anger that I felt, where's that coming from? It's, it's this pride. And it's this one sin that it's so easy to see in others. Like, look at that, stuck up, show off, know it all. And that you don't see it in yourself. It's this one sin that C.S. Lewis says, it's a, it's, the cause of every other sin. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Uh, he says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is a complete anti-God state of mind. And today, I want to talk about this pride in all of us. And this is not the pride where we say, like, I am so proud of Samuel. I am so proud of Michelle. I am so proud of our choir. That's good pride. Like, I am so proud of our church. That's good pride. But the distinguishment is, man, our choir is so good. It must mean I am a great man. 
My son is so good. I'm so proud of him. It means I'm like the best father in all the world. You see the difference? It shifts from adoring and admiring to declaring an unnatural view of oneself. And so pride, it's this view that you are greater than you really are. And you start, what happens when you think you're greater than others? Everyone else starts becoming compared to. So I look at Charles and I'm like, well, he sings better than I do. Well, that's because he went to school. Instead of saying, wow, Charles, you're a great singer. Or someone that can't sing as well, I'm like, boy, that person can't sing. And, and so you see what pride does. It makes you compare, put down people or the people who are above you instead of adoring them. It makes you bring them down. And it is this evil that C.S. Lewis says affects everything else. I think this is why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 27 too, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. I mean, have you ever hung out with people that did that? Do you know? I mean, don't, don't, don't point. Don't go like this. But have you ever met people that said, I'm just the best. You get to hang out with me today because I, I know I'm just the best basketball player in all of California. You know, I mean, do you ever hang out with people like that? Where they, 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 they kind of just, it's not sharing their gifts, but they really believe they're superior. And I know all of you well enough to say, I think you're normal and healthy enough to say, I don't think anyone says, that's the guy I want to hang out with my whole weekend. No one, no one, no, no one has a good time when someone is thinking, wow, this person is really full of himself. But pride is something else. Pride is this thing that says, you deserve more. You owe it to yourself. That's another form of pride. So, for example, when things are good, this is what pride says. Look what I've accomplished. I've done this. I owe it. I, I deserve this because I worked hard. And you know what? I'm going to get more. And, it, and I love how C.S. Lewis distinguishes it. He says this. It's not the fact that you are successful, but pride is you want to be more successful than the next person. It's not that you're good-looking. Some people, you got to receive that. Hey, you are a great singer. You're a great, good-looking person. Some of you need to say, I thank you. And that's not pride. Pride becomes when you start thinking, I am so much better-looking than others. That's pride. When you, you want to be better-er, good-looking-er. You want more. So pride is this sense that I owe it, I deserve it, and I need more. When things are bad, pride comes out this way. Life's not fair. How come I don't have all of that? And pride creeps in that way. And pride says, why does she have all that and I don't? And that pride is saying, I am owed more. I deserve more. So pride is nasty, whether you're successful or unsuccessful. It's this idea that you believe you're better than others. Contrast that to humble people. Humble people, when things are good, you know what they say? I promise you, when humble people, you know how they're humble. When things are good, business is good, life is good, you know what they say? I'm so grateful to God. I don't deserve this. I work hard, but God is so generous to me. That's what humble people say. And then what do humble people say when things are bad and everything is going down the tube? You know what they say? God is generous, and he'll provide in time. And you know what? 
I trust that he is just and right. It's not this comparison of having wanting or owing more to myself, but it's that dependency on God. So, the scary part of pride is, I'm going to tell you this, this is human nature. You don't see it in yourself. It's like spiritual cyanide. There's no symptoms. You, you, you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh boy, my pride is raging today. You know, you, you don't wake up thinking like, there's a little bit too much of pride. In fact, we look at others and say, what's wrong with them? And we fail to see ourselves. So that's why pride is so important, I mean, so dangerous. And in Daniel 4, let me give you a backstory. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, the greatest powerful ruler in all the world, Babylonian Empire. And he has this frightening dream. Basically, it's a tree in the middle of a land, and it's beautiful. Birds live in it, shades. And then a voice comes, chop that tree down. They cut it down, and they leave, left a stump. And then, and then it says this. Um, he called a loud voice, cut the tree down, verse 15, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground. And it says, let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants. So King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and goes, what kind of dream is that? And Daniel comes and he hears a dream and Daniel hears a dream. And you know what Daniel does? He goes, oh my goodness, King Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this wasn't a dream about you. And King Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, it's okay. Don't, ne- Daniel, calm down. He, he actually tells Daniel, um, do not let this dream alarm you. And Daniel says this, it is scary because you're that tree. <laughs> you're this great leader and you're going to be chopped down, left in a stump. You're going to be like an animal living in dew, crazy. And King, I hope he says in verse 27, you would repent, that you would turn from your wickedness. Basically, humble yourself. Don't be this arrogant jerk. I don't want this to happen to you. So that's the backstory. So 20, verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. What do you, I mean, come on, what do you do when you get a warning like that? Jason, I just had this dream about you. It's from God. Don't get arrogant, because if you do, God will chop you down, and he will humble you. Okay, 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar walks on the top of his palace, and he says, Is this not the great Babylon that I created and I made? Look at this. Look around. Guys, look. I did this. You see the pews you're sitting? You see his land? And he says, I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. What is he saying? I built this. This is for my glory. When people look at this, they say, what a great king. And boom, verse 31. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You see, who could take the king's authority? I mean, can, can any human being go king? No more. We want it back. What's that word that we use? Impeach? (laughs) We're going to impeach you, king. No one could do that. King is the boss, right? And then what do you see in scripture? The voice from heaven comes down. Nebuchadnezzar, leadership, it's a gift. It's a stewardship. Whether you believe God or not, 
You've been entrusted with this. And it's going to be taken from you. Guys, come on. Haven't we seen enough news? Is your life guaranteed for prosperity? I mean, do we live with this assurance? I mean, when I was 16 years old, I thought I was Superman, right? Remember teenagers? Nothing could touch me. I could fly. I'm, I'm invincible. We, we live like that as adults, that thinking like, this is my kingdom, my company. And then I remember so many stories where 2008 stock market crash. I remember stories of early 1990s stock market crash. And people who were living in the wealth of life are on welfare. I mean, we actually believe we control all things. And God comes to Nebuchadnezzar, you arrogant little man. Your leadership, your kingdom is taken from you. Um, you know, can you just raise your hand? How many of you chose your mom? Okay. How, how many of you chose to be born in the 19th century? I mean, I'm sorry, actually, 20th century, 1900s. How many of you chose to be born now instead of like the medieval ages? Anyone choose? Did you, like, you had a conversation with God? Said, hey, give me a little more time. I got to loosen up. I like the cell phone era. You know, we think so much of ourselves, but did you choose your life? Did you get to where you are because everything lined up according to your plan? And then we're going to actually live a life thinking, I am the ruler of my domain. I mean, that's like going to a sand pit and then watching little kids build a castle and they go, I am king. And then the wave comes and washes it away. Like, you know, just waves just wash it away. You're not king. But we go to God and we say, I am the most incredible power. I built my company. I built a church. This church is by my blood. I am the, I've been here for many years. This nation is, we are great. And then God says, leadership is stewardship and it's given to you and it could be taken from you and the main passage here is the words to nebuchadnezzar was this seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge can you repeat this with me the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes who gave everything to you? Do we, live, do we believe that? Statistics show most of us in our pride that can't be seen don't believe that. One, in, one indicator, by the way, is your stress, your worries, where your money goes. You see, we want to believe that God is indeed the one that gave all this But when you live and believe that, there is this peace, there is this generosity, there is this selflessness, there is this idea, how can I serve? Instead of, why did you do that? Why, who's sitting in my pew? (laughs) Why is that person, why is the government doing this to me? And and it's this idea that the world's around you. But when you believe that God is sovereign over all nations, and he gives to all those as he pleases, There's something that changes. And in Daniel 4, 
it unfolds. And there's a couple of things I want to just highlight here. Number one, do you notice it's the pagan worldly king who loses everything? And I think that message to us, I want to pull from that, is you and I, we don't have entitlement to hold the life comfort that we have. We're not entitled. We're not guaranteed this. If God could take a king's kingdom and take it all away, what does he mean to us? Nothing in our lives is owed to us. You know the American dream. I love it. It's a good vision. But when we believe I am entitled to this, it's a little different. You know who gives that? God. And he gives as he pleases. That This Nebuchadnezzar recognizes I could lose all this. It's not my ultimate power. The second thing we notice here, it's this. It's like God is saying, you see your nation? He's doing a magic trick. Now you see it. Now you don't. <laughs> now you see it. Now you don't. I think there was a time when America, the church, this, this is from a lot of studies of the church. In 1960s, they used to do this. Hey, Mayor. Hey, Jason. I'll see you at church. See you later. Right? 2015. Hey, Mayor. Hey, Jason. I'll see you at Starbucks Sunday morning. What changed? The church really thought that people would just automatically go to church because it's the thing to do. That's way gone. And that's not a bad thing. But it is a reality. But the church sat and didn't change anything. And we, said, we, we assumed that people would just come to church no matter what. And then 1980s, PCUSA, mainline denominations all declined. And we were like, oh, what's going on? The world's changing. And the kingdom of God is bigger than just going to church. You go out to them. Don't open the doors and make the, wait for them to come in. And so we, we are learning now in our country, the churches are realizing we can't work in a kingdom of church like the way we used to. We have to go out. So Nebuchadnezzar realizes his kingdom is given to him and is taken out. And I want to tell you, this nation, who gave us this nation ultimately? God. Let me read a quote. You try to guess who it is. Who said this? We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in number, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and it multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Do you know who said that? Abraham Lincoln in 1863. We believe that we built this by our, we're just better people. No. It's a stewardship. God's given it to you. And he could take it away. Be humble. And recognize he is the most high who is able to do all things. So King David wrote about this in Psalm. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. 
Basically, what Abraham Lincoln and David are saying that are similar, it's this. When things are good, we have this tendency and pride to say, oh, I did it. And what David is saying is this. There is no need for God. My life is good. I don't need God. When I am in trouble, maybe I'll turn to God, but business is going well. Church is going great. Money's coming in. People are happy. My family's all healthy. God, I'm pretty good. And then what happens when 9-11 hits? All the churches in Manhattan are filled up. It's this realization that we have forgotten God as in our pride. So this pride, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's thinking that he has been given all these things, God says, I'm going to take it away. So Nebuchadnezzar becomes an animal. By the way, you know that's a clinical disease? It's called clinical lycanthropy, where people act like animals. And some of you are like, my son has clinical lycanthropy. No, he's just being normal. But it's this disease where people go into this animal state. And for seven times or a year and a half, all Nebuchadnezzar did was eat grass. Can you imagine the king walking around, madman, and he, no one could reach out to him? And then after a year and a half, this is what happens. At the end of the time, he raised his eyes to heaven. What does that teach you about pride? You're so busy looking down at others, you never look up. That's how we know we have pride issues. We're kind of looking down. And so he looked up, and then when that happened, his sanity was restored. Then he praised the Most High God. Now, here's a part that's fascinating to me. Was Nebuchadnezzar a Jew? No. Was Nebuchadnezzar a religious man? No. He thought he was God. And then what does he do at the end of chapter 4? The last things we see? The last thing we find out about Nebuchadnezzar? He's worshiping God. Isn't that interesting, the correlation? When people are humble, what happens to worship? It grows. They're recognizing, I am not God. It makes me want to worship. Not, I have to worship. But I am this little man, and God is this great God. And I give him worship. So he says this, his dominion is an eternal dominion. Look at Nebuchadnezzar's insight. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. America is only less than 300 years old. Roman Empire, where are they now? Gone. Babylonian Empire, where are they now? Mongols, Napoleon, you name it. Where are they? Gone. But his dominion lasts forever. And this is what he says. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing He does as he pleases. No one could hold back his hand. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, Woe is far be it from me. I have seen God, and he's been merciful to me. Do you believe God's been merciful to you? I hope so. Do you believe you have more than you deserve? We all do. You know why? Because if we ever say to God, You see my life, give me what I deserve. What do we deserve? Nothing. (laughs) And we live in this presumption and pride that I built my kingdom, I built this church, we built a great nation, and we forget, that's great, have pride in your country, have pride in your church, but know where it comes from. It all comes from God. And the beautiful part is this. There's an easy way to destroy pride. Number one, 
just a, this is a little quick application. Ways to kill your pride. Number one, very simple. Recognize you are proud. That's it. First, recognize that we are proud. C.S. Lewis says this. If you think you're not conceited, you're probably conceited. <laughs> I just think about that. Are you conceited? How dare you say I'm conceited? Outrageous. I am not conceited. I'm the most humble person I know. Right? Or someone says, I think you struggle with pride. How dare you say I struggle with pride? I'm okay. I'm good. What is that showing you? You don't see it in you. And some of us have relationships where we're broken, and we're like, man, the whole world must be nuts. And the mirror is going, it's you. Will you recognize your pride and say, help? I am a proud, sinful man or woman, and I need God's forgiveness. Humble me, Lord. That's it. First thing. Nebuchadnezzar, after a year and a half, what does he do? Looks up after a year and a half. I am a man, and God restores his sanity. Do you recognize your pride every day? You know, it's not just a one-shot deal. Every moment of every day. Remember me, my Starbucks story. Hello. Trying to be polite. You did not just walk by without saying thank you. you know? <laughs> and what is that? It's this pride that I'm owed. I've earned it instead of just serving. Two, do you recognize truly, truly, really, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth? And he gives to anyone he wishes. Do you live in this moment to say, God, what I have is from you. What may come is going to be by you. So God, help me to be faithful with what I have. Because I know you give it all. You could take it away and you could give more. But it's from you and you are good. Do you believe that? Can I tell you something? If you believe that, your life will truly find joy (laughs) because you're not imprisoned by the world, keeping up the Joneses. The next door neighbor buys a $50,000 car and you're driving like a $10,000 1990 model. You don't get pride. (laughs) You say, wow, God's blessing them. Thank you, Lord, for what we have. Or maybe God blesses you and things are going great and you are saying, God, this is from you. You are generous. Let me be more generous. The Most High, He is able to give. Do you believe your life is yours? Your family is yours? Or do you believe they're God's? Do you believe your children are yours? Really? Or are they stewards under your care, but they belong to God? I love how Nebuchadnezzar ends. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Key, God is able to make us humble. Lastly, I think this is so important and we're done. We need to recognize, why does God want you and I to be humble? And I I didn't realize this until I studied this text. Why does God want you and I to be humble? Would you believe it has to do with love? Hear me out. I don't think God wants us to be humble to beat us down. Jason, I want you to stay weak and 
I want you to think how great I am. It's actually a little bit more. He wants us to be humble because God knows in your life there is only room for one superior being. And if you are that superior being, there is no room for God in our lives. In other words, he wants us to be humble for one reason. Only the humble can see and know God. It is impossible for you to fully know God when you're filled with pride. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar at the end? This pagan king says, worship and honor God. You know why some of you have been humbled? It's not because God hates you or angry at you. He loves you, and he's humbling you to say, will you come to know me? Amen? And you know why I could trust this God? Because this is the God who humbled himself so that he and you and I can become reconciled. So I want us to end with this. Jesus Christ has humbled himself to make us know him. And I want to do this little exercise before we close. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to get your fist and make a clenched fist. And, you know, if you don't want to do it, don't be forced. I just want you to do it. And clench that fist as hard as you can and say, in that fist, here's my kingdom. Here's my rights. Here's everything that I believe I'm owed, my children, my house, this church. And I want you to clench that. And when you're ready, I want you to release that clench and say, God, this is all by you, for you, from you, and I give it all back to you. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives to those as he wishes. Heavenly Father, you are God who is in this upper story and showing yourself that even to a pagan nation, you provide and that you control their power. We come before you to be a people who get closer to you the more humble we get, the more Christ-like we get, the more servant-hearted we get, that it's less and less about our rights and more about serving you and others. God, do surgery within our hearts when, if we believe that we've really earned this, we're entitled to this, we believe that we created this out of our own wisdom, power, and strength. Forgive us for that foolishness, and we declare that it's all yours. And keep us humble, Lord God, so that we may know you in a profound way. Having said that, we are thankful for this church. We are thankful for this nation because we know that it's from you. We are thankful for the lives that we have, as imperfect as it is, knowing that, God, you're still sovereign and that you will give and your ways are just and right. Help us to live in that grace and humility and help us to glorify you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus, who was the humble king, and the prayer that he taught us to say as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.